Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome back to East Meets West. We are back with an absolutely stacked edition as New Japan keeps on throwing more matches at us than what we can probably humanly keep up with. <laughs> it's me, Grant McGrobby, your host this, this time, and joined by the Chris Charlton to my Kevin Kelly. I'm joined by Scott McLeod. Thank you, thank you very much. I'm always happy to be here talking to you about everything going on in, in New Japan. I'll, I'll, I'll happily take that Chris Charlton uh, comparison, although... If you want to fit in this month, then we'll get to that. I'd, I'd more likely be the ELP tier, Kevin Kelly, given what happened on the recent shows. But, you know, I don't think we can complain about the, uh, the amount of content New Japan gave us because, like, this time last year, they, they took it all away from us because of the pandemic. But now we're, we're still charging ahead full speed. Yeah, you're, you're definitely you're bang on the money with that. And, yep, yeah, you, you are the ELP at this time. He's, he's <laughs> became the Terry, the Terry Funk of commentary. He retired twice, I think, now. How long that will yeah. last, we do, we do not know. But I think, you know, I'm going to do a lot bit the housekeeping and we're going to get fired into what's happened really in the last, what has been almost two months now for us um, with New Japan. So you can catch us, all your popular sp- podcast places, Anchor, Spotify. You can, get a, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, at Suplex Retweet. Tons of content out at the moment. Tons more planned. We've got... Saturday Draft Live, we are on season eight, if I remember correctly, Scott. I keep yep. track of mm-hmm. trackers. Yeah. Season eight. <laughs> I should uh, I should mention not to interrupt the plug, but I think it's the first thing we had to chance to chat or the two of us. Uh, I must congratulate you on your purgatory victory. And I I myself won the uh, the draft season and season seven, as I said on their the live stream fallout show, uh, East Meets West, the show for the winners. That is correct, Scott. Thank you very much. And yes, congratulations on your win as well. You know, we've we've both set ourselves some credible challenges in this exciting tag draft season. Uh, mm-hmm. Me teaming, teaming with the enigmatic mastermind, or as some people call him, that bastard for the tag team pick, Gary Carnahan. <laughs> and and you're, t- you're tag teaming with Mr. It's My Podcast, the ginger prick, Stephen Wilson. So it's going to be it's going to be it's been pretty fun so far, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what you, Dave and Jack, bring with Sat- Saturday Draft Live this season with the completely new format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've uh, if you've not had a chance to hear the new format, obviously you'll be hearing this on Sunday. So the first episode will all be already about, so go ahead and check it out. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to get my opportunity to take until after our Vengeance Day uh, sweep between the four people that tied. I think you yourself are maybe involved in that. So it could be you and me for the SSR title grant very soon. Well, that's it. There's so many possibilities. Yeah, it's me, Wilson, Sarah Grieve, and the, the the man with a without a plan probably Strack. 
and it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, we're we're going to be getting together for a little. By the time this you've listened to this, we've probably already had the live the live show to discuss our predictions. Um, but yeah, so as you can see, so much content. Uh, I think we're we're doing a solid really good job of plugging ourselves here, Scott. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we've also had the most recent edition of Book It hosted by. Uh, I've got to say his name, David Campbell. Uh, the, <laughs> or as I'm, I'm calling him now, Syndrome from the Incredibles. You can catch him on the live on live feeds constantly on the ESSR community page. The man is a mad genius. I'll give him that. <laughs> I need to have a word with you about that, by the way, because you put that out there, and now I cannot unsee that image. So thank you. You firmly planted that comparison into my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I am so proud to have done that. Even I can't undo it to myself. I've done it to myself, and it's. It's just every time I see the pop-up coming out my face, on my phone, I'm like, oh, no, what's he doing now? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so let's, let's anyway, back, as the old saying goes, anyway, back to the wrestling. Um, and, you, know, you know, we had we had a very the new beginning tour was stacked with kind of you could say the three main shows, new beginning Nagoya, the two nights in Hiroshima. But the first thing that we're going to really talk about is January 23rd. One of the road two shows, and um, we had our junior tag team champions Suzuki Gun, El Desperado, and Kanemaru defending against Ishimori and ELP in a match which, to me, was absolutely outstanding. Um, what did you think of it, Scott? I thought it was again a smart decision on New Japan's part to put this right in the middle of the road to uh, tour, give you a reason to kind of tune in if you weren't uh, keen on checking out because uh, the road two show is. While not a lot to talk about from a storyline perspective other than really this match, there was a lot of good uh, stuff match-wise, especially the main events of most of the Road 2 shows. It was interesting to see this very much heel-v-heel dynamic and like having like Kanemaru being the one worked over by the by Bullet Club team and having to make kind of the hot tag and the crowd almost by proxy cheering for Suzuki-gun. And then the very shenanigan finish with like trying to use title belts and then Kanemaru's got his bottle and then the ref bumps and... Obviously, the mystery that always surrounds that surrounds El Fantasmo's, but you know the sudden death super kick, the most deadly super kick, and he tries to like deflect the suspicion, like, "Oh, you're also suspicious because you're seeing twenty super kicks a match, but me, I only need one super kick." You know, it's all that time kicking trees in in Canada, allegedly. I still love that explanation for the sudden death. Like you always see him adjusting the boot, you know, their foul play a foot. Everyone's been crying about it. Um, all the way back to Wrestle Kingdom when he was against Hiromu and those kicks he'd be doing a lot of damage. And yeah, he's he's claiming nine months of kicking tr- kicking trees in, in Canada, which just makes me think of like some mad Jean Claude Van Damme Rocky style montage in the woods. I was I was gonna make a similar comparison, yeah, the don't go to Van Damme kind of kicking the trees and then they uh, imagine the Rocky Montage just ends with them getting ready for the Togu Dome just runs to the top of them and goes, Aroma! <laughs> Probably calling people dirty marks while he's at it as well because that is his thing these days. <laughs> yeah, and he, he just it's just been the ELP month this past uh, show because like, you know, he's, he's showing how great he is in the ring and he also showed he's also very versatile on the commentary desk because uh, I was surprised to hear him on the when on the uh, Nagoya show on commentary, yeah, and yeah, he talked about how he retired and then came back, you know, but he, I don't know, short of his retirement or bloody McFoley's in 2000. <laughs> that, is, that, that could be a feud there, like who's got the shortest retirement of all time, but it, 
it was absolutely hilarious him in commentary. You know, he he did show his his ability to talk in the microphone um, behind the booth is just as good as he is in the ring. Um, he's not really lost any of the. Uh, uh, there's been no signs of rust from him um, since he came back at Wrestle Kingdom. He's really just cemented himself back in as one of the main players in the junior division when the junior division was suffering during the pandemic when they couldn't really get a lot of their sort of like the other guys in from outside of Japan. So I, I, I'm, I was absolutely pleased with this match. You know, so many rule breaks, like they've pretty much ripped every page out of the rule book and went, that rule, fuck that, that rule, fuck that, that rule, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, if you're, not, if you're not a fan of the overly bullet club like shenanigans, then maybe some of the spots in this match won't be for you. But if you're into that, then you'll have a, a hell of a time. I think it was smart for ELP and Ishimori to win the titles because uh, the junior tag divisions, especially, I think, is suffering more than the singles division. Uh, because like we were confused when we were both seeing certain that the Ass Masters uh, were going to win the titles at Wrestle Kingdom. And then when New Year's Dash came in, like, okay, it seems more like the logical step. It keeps kind of this weird bullet club. Uh, so good feed that seems to be going on it keeps that going and it'll keep the mystery of what's going on in the, the boot and what I love about ELP is just like how he's clearly so talented but just cares so little about it and doesn't want to do anything with it like he does these big flips and just ended him just doing a back break and just how exasperated Kevin Kiel is in film just like oh I'd like to take this as he's for some spectacular move but and there's the back break I absolutely love that it's just just absolute shithousery from ELP. Like get, gets you hyped up, think he's about to do something really dramatic. Like when he's got them in the corner or the kind of the trio hole, you think, oh, he's about to do something mad. No, he's just going to step on their balls. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, population control, which, you know, can be no one to call it. <laughs> I, I missed you know in commentary. So did I. I, I yeah. The population control, the doki choki. We're missing these things. Come back, Gino. Come back, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was to me it was it was the right call having having Suzuki Gun um, put over Ishimori and ELP. Um, where that's going to lead next, this is where I um, will eventually get to that that point. But at, the, at that point, they'd got the belts. It was where things going to go next. Um, but yeah, that that match to me stood out on the road two shows. It kind of I'm not going to labour on about the road two shows. They're there to serve a purpose. You're not going to get five star yeah. matches most of the time. You're usually talking. These are just designed to give, really, to give the wrestlers chance to work with each other in bursts and that give fans a teaser for what's to come. Um, this match was one of those ones though that was there to give the fans a payoff, and it it worked for me. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it more when we get to the second night of Hiroshima. But there was one. A program that's been building, like the uh, Okada Evil program, where they seem to tease that they were going to have a match at New Year's Dash, and then I thought, oh, maybe they'll announce that for New Begin, and then they didn't. Uh, it transpired that Evil didn't want to face uh, Okada for whatever reason. So, like, for you got a story like that when you're constantly building, building, making you question when's the match going to happen, and also these guys keep coming at odds with each other in tag matches, then obviously the tours are, are good for that purpose, but yeah. Uh, it's very rare that they give you something really groundbreaking they tune in for, with the exception of this junior tag title match. I see. I mean, definitely, it was it was a fantastic match. And moving on from there, we did have a few more road two shows, but let's 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 cut to the main. Let's cut to the meat of the matter. Nagoya, thirtieth of January, 
the the card itself had a few opening matches which will kind of we've kind of brushed Derokada and Evil. We'll go into that more later on. Um, the big the big kind of thing that was coming into this one first and foremost was the bad blood between the United Empire because they've changed their name again from the Empire to the United Empire. I do not know why, but that's their choice. Um, and it was them against the veterans ten cozy um, in two singles matches with let, let's talk about the first one, Okan these tens and uh, uh, what did you think of the stipulation of the loser is not allowed to do the Mongolian chop ever again? Uh, never have the stakes been so low. Eh? <laughs> because I don't think many people in 2021 really care about the use of Mongolian shots, but you know, it's kind of become uh, Okan's like, thing, and so kind of almost a passing of the torch almost thing from the guy who mainly uses it, and, so, and you associate that move with, with uh, Okan. And it's weird because you know, he's fought Okada and Tanahashi, the two of the biggest stars in the last decade from New Japan. And not to diminish like Tenzan's like past accomplishments, but I liked this match way better than any of Okan's previous matches that I've seen him in. And it's weird, maybe because they both seemingly wrestle similar because like he seems to have taken a lot from Tenzan, not just the chops. But you know, for a kind of a middle of the show match, you know, I think it was like the first half kind of main event because Nagoya was actually surprisingly short, like five matches on this one uh, card, so. You know, it got a decent amount of time and it kind of showed that, you know, the older guys kind of have a lot still to offer and, you know, actually gave you a match. It gave me a match with Okan that I was actually, I actually enjoyed watching. Yeah, I, I did. I have to admit, I did get into this match. Um, I think Okan's, like, selling of not taking it, but actually giving the Mongolian chop is still one of the funniest things on, on the earth right now because of that huge scream that he lets out. It's... <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it because it's not even like it's a deep guttural one. It's kind of almost like the first time we heard Brock Lesnar scream in WWE and we went, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more high-pitched than you'd expect it to be. But it, it was, I think, I think you, you've nailed it right there that they've got a very similar style. Okan's quite, he's very slow and deliberate. Um, he, he, does, he does have a good thing that he, when he does it, because he takes things quite slow like that, he makes everything look a lot more powerful than what it probably is. Like you can make a basic power slam look like it is really trying to drive someone through the mat. And mm-hmm. Ten Tenzan is a an accomplished his history is long and deep. And they did. They had they had me caring about this match. They actually despite the fact that I found the this stipulation incredibly weird and almost daft. They the build up towards it, the like the little run ins and the road two shows where they ended up like pretty much always going to DQs and just barely lasting three minutes because they just wanted to batter the loving shit out of each other. They, they made it work. It was it was it felt very different for Japan to me. Yeah, and it's weird because like both him and uh, and Cobb were kind of maybe like the big like heavy hitters for this faction, but it's taken until now for Okan to kind of have his first key singles victory. I think it's kind of odd for how they want to kind of present him and the Empire as a group because. Yeah, Cobb lost at risk game as well, but his match uh, with Shingo was one of the most talked about matches of that weekend. Whereas all people could, most people, when they talked about his match with Tanahashi, like they was mostly in a negative context. So I think he kind of needed a match like this. Yeah, you've you've you're 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 bang on there. Yeah, he did. He he needed this to 
not just cement his own credibility, but to cement the, the United Empire's credibility as a stable. They had their mm-hmm. three losses, which completely shocked me at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, the, the only way for them now is continue this momentum. And this match was brilliant. Um, really enjoyable. Maybe not brilliant, but really enjoyable. But the match that came after, Osprey and Kojima, no disqualification. I fucking loved it. Mm. Uh, this this wasn't like the type of match that I expected to see in New Japan because they don't do a lot of no DQ matches, uh, and also but when they do do them, uh, you wonder how far they're going to get to go with them. You had Osprey coming out, I think, was with all sorts of like weapons. Uh, he brought out a guitar, which in wrestling logic meant it got used against them. So Kojima smashes the guitar over. He said they have the spot through the, the ladder on the outside, and uh, even got the Japanese table involved with that spot in the corner, which I thought is always, again, risky because you never know with a Japanese table if it's actually going to break. And like the fact that it was like a running power bomb, I thought if that table doesn't break, that's going to be, that's going to be a sore one. And like, well, again, the very similar that both men's key, one of their key moves is a cutter. Also, he's a bit more like agile because he's in the springboard version of it. But, you know, Kojima, like he kept going for the lariat, but kept getting denied. So, you know, more so than the match before, they really kind of sucked in with like Kojima could do it again. Kojima has a lot to offer, uh, and I think it's weird because we're going to talk about Tanahashi in the next match. It's weird that all the talk about Tanahashi maybe not having it anymore because of injuries and age and stuff like that. You never hear the commentators on New Japan talking about it nearly as much for people like Kojima and Tenzan or even Suzuki because even though they're like much older than well not that much but they are older. Tanahashi is. Yeah, it's crazy because like Kojima is like one of their oldest guys, and I think sometimes what helps is like compared to Tana has quite a heavy workload because of how high up he is in the company. But Kojima and Tenzan sometimes like they get used for a while, then they kind of settle into the background. So they, to me, they sometimes don't have as much physical exertion on them, and I think that has kind of went in their favour over the last couple of years. It's kept their longevity there. Um, Suzuki's just a complete exception to the rule. He is just a fucking psychopath, but that's that's that is Minoru Suzuki for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think uh, anybody can go up to Minoru Suzuki and tell him that they think he's too old and love to tell about it. <laughs> they say a man tried it. He was never seen again. They just heard a chop. <laughs> <laughs> but like as like the same like main uh, match like when you had like the big never take match in the main event, this was a good kind of spot for the, the cool main event, you know, they, it, was, it was a fun kind of way, it was a very, like I said, they don't do it as often, so it's nice when they get to do it, because it's something very different from like what you're used to in New Japan. That's it, it was, it was completely, absolutely outstanding, and it, it was, it was the perfect match to, to break things up between the kind of, it wasn't as slow as Okan and Tenzan. It had a bit more speed and fluidity to it, but without being a, a complete show stealer. Because main event, Tanavi Shingo. My God, what a match! <laughs> what what a bloody match that was! That really like it exceeded all my expectations. Yeah, because with with Tanahashi and, and Shingo, uh, I think, and this may seem like a. Um, a slight on Tash, but I don't mean it to be. I felt like the for the most part it, it flowed more like a shingle match than a Tanahashi match, which actually helped it because the uh, the last over well, the last year because of the injuries that Tana's 
suffered especially in the legs. Like you've noticed his matches in the last year I mentioned before seem to follow a very similar flow. And I think if they went through that similar flow again in this match, it would have hindered it. Whereas they seem to go more the, the style that Shingo's been having with his other never title matches. And I think it was quite smart that instead of Shingo going after Tana's legs, it was the other way around where Tana actually was trying to break down Shingo's legs to try and maybe keep them on an even playing field. You know, get, get go after his legs before he goes after mine. And again, they talk about how while a lot of the power in Shingo's offense is like on his upper half, if his legs aren't like properly working, then he can't like hold you up to deliver a lot of his power moves. And yeah, he talk about like not knowing which way it was going to go because like the never tail can go either way in most of its matches. And like I feel like oh maybe they want Tan to kind of elevate it even more so. And but then again, you think Shingo's on the rise. You think. Are they going to free Shingo up to go even further up the card? So this is one of the ones that very much, the never title very much deserved to main event. And it's interesting, okay, like this time last year, one of the new beginning shows, Shingo was in the main event winning the title. And now here he is a year later and the title feels just way more important than it did this time a year ago. That's it. This, this title um, was the hot title, title for a while. And I feel that Shingo has been the, the kind of the main guy that has brought it to relevance um, in the last year or so. Yeah, he's he's like he's now dropped it twice, <laughs> but it's it was an absolutely like just you're right. Like the, the going with Shingo's style, it was it was faster than I would expect a Tana match to go. It was still long. I mean, thirty five minutes and forty seconds, and you, you've you've got right like going after Shingo's legs because things like the pumping bomber can't do the pumping bomber if he's got no speed in his legs. He needs that explosive speed to get uh-huh. the power up. It was uh, it was it was an absolutely fantastic match and the like you know it, it just shows like Tana can still go like there's no there's no denying it. Anyone that says Tana can't go is absolutely mad. Yeah, he sometimes has to go a bit slower now because he's he's probably got knees like biscuits by now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, what what an image that is! But uh, like you said, it went like thirty five minutes. It was a hell of an effort, as like we've expected from these never title matches. And that was kind of the the point. Yeah, Tanashi got the win over Okan and trying to prove that he still got some. But like this was like another level because the whole reason it was Shingo that threw the challenge out. He was like, "You've been in some wars, but are you ready for the kind of war that it takes to beat me for this title? Are you ready to step up to this kind of level?" Uh, this is kind of about Tanashi kind of proving that he can. And also we've got New Japan Cup coming up in a, about a month's time. I'm hoping this means that now that Shingo, oh, I say free, but now he's been relieved of the Never title, maybe he, is, in my mind, makes him a favourite for that tournament. Although I did have to kind of grow in a bit because after this great match and Tanashi with a big long like, air guitar celebration getting attacked by Okan, I did let him ever go and like, oh, God, not this again. Ah uh, yes, the the oh the attack by Okan post celebration. You know, and I, I was kind of I was like just let Tana have the celebration because like, like the show respect and Shingo kind of like putting the belt on him, being like you know you earned this, going yourself, well done. Um, let's do this again sometime. Okan coming out and like I was like, oh god, we're getting this match again. It's like. As I, I know you weren't a fan of it. I was. I still kind of enjoyed it, but I'm also thinking at the same time, is it maybe a bit too soon to go down this again? Unless they plan on having Tana drop it, 
but then that's dropping on the first defence and to me it then kind of goes back in line with um, what was it two years ago now when Tana beat Omega and then was it pretty much lost it in his first defence to Jay White mm-hmm. with the main yeah. it kind of echoes that again yeah I think because like I'll say Kenny was leaving to go help form AEW so they had to get the belt off him but it's one of the things that makes less sense for them to have this match now because Tana did beat Okan and it feels like Okan suddenly feels like he's, you know, to quote back, Billy Big Box because he just <laughs> won the rights to the Mongolian shots and now thinks he can square it to Tana again. It would have made more sense if Tana lost to Okan even though the match again was a bit meh. Uh, but then Okan, like, going on, he continued his tear, beats Tenzan. Tana actually feels like He's got he's got even more to prove beating Shingo and he does. And then it gives more Okan more of a, a stake to this. Because like even though it was a great match, him and versus Shingo, it feels like it might lessen it a bit if the whole point of this victory is just so Okan can win it off Tanahashi. I mean, I'd rather he win it off Tanahashi than win it off Shingo. Because I'd be very angry at, at Gado if he had Shingo lose to Okan. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's again when these some of these Booking decisions at times from Gado are quite questionable. Then again, I've had this happen before where I question his booking decision and about three months later, I'm like, son of a bitch, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you listen to me just mention, oh, it would make more sense here, like, listen to me trying to tell Gado how to book as if I, as if I know any better me sitting comfortably from my armchair. I know, it's just, it is absolutely... Mad and yet they ha- they have went and made this match official. We're getting it on night two of Castle Attack, Sunday the twenty eighth of February. Um, kind of like it was. Pr- it was probably the f- as soon as they done that attack in Nagoya, I was like, well, it's not going to be happening on the the other New Beginning shows. So to me, it made sense. It was going to happen at Castle Attack because you needed the match before the New Japan Cup. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think they won't be one. Um, they probably will have a can win the the title. Because Tanahashi is always a favourite going into the New Japan Cup, but maybe they won. I think, oh, I feel like Okan's won the title and he's on a bit of a roll, and maybe people will consider him a bit of a dark horse going into the New Japan Cup. Even though I don't think Okan will win, I think he'll maybe go to the second round, perhaps, depending on what the size of the tournament is. But yeah, I think they want a, when we get to it further in more detail, they clearly want to uh, make Castle Tag like a big show worth tuning in for with the kind of stuff they've been setting up for it. Uh, before the like the anniversary show and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's definitely. I mean, to me, like we could pretty much see that was going to be the first kind of big announcement for Castle Attack, and it it was what a fantastic way it was to end the the show in Nagoya. As you said, you know, it's only five card, um, five card, uh, five card, five match show <laughs> because on the card, um, but I actually liked it. It, it made things flow. I, I actually feel that the pandemic forcing them to kind of have the tight curfews means that the shows have felt more focused and direct and to the point. There's not as much wasted. They're not trying to force eight or nine matches into a card and like half of it being tags. They're actually making me get more invested by having these matches get more time as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also they've had to like open venues like half an hour or an hour earlier because of like the new like restrictions with like how long or how late like certain venues can open and Kevin Kelly keeps saying every time Yano comes out with his, his introduction seem like getting longer and longer like if this gets any longer we'll have to open the venue half an hour early <laughs> which is brilliant it's, like, it's just the sheer amount of like intros that Yano gets now is ridiculous <laughs> uh, 
the, the man the man is just gold and we, we will we will eventually talk we have Yano to talk about later um but before we get to that we're going to skip over the other road two shows because let's face it we have plenty of things to talk about with the two nights in Hiroshima um I yeah, want to draw a little bit draw a little bit of attention to the first match on night one of Hiroshima it's technically a throwaway match it's the young lions against Suzuki Gun but can we take a moment to discuss the continuing death wish of Yuya Yumura? <laughs> yeah, I, I I do like kind of the long term thing of here because like I think they did something like this uh, towards the start of like last year, and they'll like, say everything happened with the pandemic, and now they've kind of just brought you out. Like, remember what happened last time at these two and thing, and then just like yeah, these three young lines trying to like trying to fight these like established guys and just getting battered for it and. You know, it was a hell of a showing for for these guys. You know, a hell of a spot for them getting put in with these guys, but you knew it was going to end very painfully for them. Yeah, you uh, just constantly actually having the balls to go after Suzuki when he's still getting in the ring during Kazi Nina Ray. I was like, this boy, this boy is trying to die. This boy, is... and in fact, it's probably led to one of my favourite backstage promos that I've seen, and it was on one of the road two shows. I don't know if you've seen a little either the clip or a gif of it or what, and it's Taguchi. Talking about Yuya, he's like, if, like I, I hope you know, I hope he's at peace, you know, going after Suzuki. And Yuya is just sitting on the ground in the back, going, "I'm not dead yet." <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't seen that, but I did have to say, like, oh, that's a mistake, because like, I was, even though you, people can't sing along with it, I do look forward to the Kazanino like part of the song. That's what it seems to be building up to. And like when he's at a time tune, I'm like, oh, oh no, man. No, the Undertaker would say, you've done it now, you've gone and made a big mistake. And he did, because Suzuki beat the living shit out of him. <laughs> I don't mean to jump too far ahead, but then if you had the same kind of trio the following night, but a different group of Suzuki, I believe it was against Doki and Dangerous Techers. And Zach Zero Jr. was brought in for English commentary for the, the main event. And he talked about how he'd, he'd beaten the two guys in the, in the main event before. And he went, yeah, and now they're here fighting for the double gold and I'm fighting three young boys in the opener. So it's working out fine for everyone. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got things to say about Zach's commentary when we get to the uh, the main event on night two because I did find him quite quite amusing. Very, very dry humour, but my God, he was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think him and ELP, they're both good. They maintained the fact that they were both like heels while on commentary, but they still managed to like offer something in the way of insight. Yeah, that's it. And their insights were completely different from each other. Like ELPs was kind of one way, but like Sabers was proper breaking it down to the technical level, which I just I, I loved it. And it's just that his delivery just makes it. But yeah, two of them kind of still staying in character works so well. Mm. And spe- speaking of characters, second match on night one of Hiroshima, a match I had hopes for, and I feel it did not deliver for me. Watto. Master Watto, I'm not sure if I can really call him a master anymore against Bushi. That match did not really go as well as what I wanted it to. Hmm. I I don't I wouldn't say I had high expectations for it. I was looking forward to it. I thought it'd be a good like junior like heavyweight contest because like it would be like you know the first half of shows like this are gonna be mostly like multi man tag, so having this kind of in the middle would be like, interesting when also these guys fought at the uh the Super Juniors as well, so you know, I was looking forward to it, but you know, it was a 
was kind of there. I wasn't, wasn't the, my favourite match of the, the show, but uh, I did think it was kind of a kick, kick while he's down kind of moment after the match because he had like Wato on the outside kind of selling afterwards after Bushy won, and then Bushy kind of takes the ice back and starts pouring the water that's inside <laughs> it out. Just a bit more of a like again kicking while he's down, and even I was even talking about the things they'd be holding Wato back, like. The idea of all these different people giving him advice and how do you separate what's good advice from like what's the right advice and then again still trying to use moves like Tenzan's like version of Tombstone but that's still how that still somehow wasn't enough to beat uh, Bushy and like it's weird because like Bushy while he's still a great wrestler has seemingly fallen down at the bottom of the totem pole in LIG and while well, I was like I got on the rise so you think this would be a moment for him to pick up a win but yeah you got this after he, he, Ian Tukuchi failed at the, at the Tokyo Dome, so it kind of makes you question what they have planned for Watto. Yeah, this, that's exactly what I've kind of written down myself, is where does Watto go from here? Because like the win, the win for Bushi surprised me. I thought Watto was going to go over. I thought this was going to be kind of continuing this kind of slow build of momentum that he's had. Like he's beat Kanemaru, he had a decent run in best of Super Juniors. Just slowly getting them more established and... To me, a, a fantasy booking for me is that they turn him heel. Like, he just gets fed up of all the advice and trying to do the good thing and just goes, fuck you, Tenzan, and just, like, joins one of the heel factions. I would love to see it just to, to revitalise him a wee bit and maybe give him some new jammies because the blue jammies just aren't doing it for me. Yeah, he seemed to, like, his hair already seemed to be different here because he seemed to, like, be like a more dark hair than rather than the bit of blue that he has in his hair. So maybe he's going through a bit of a change. His his things are a bit darker. So yeah, I could see him kind of even tense and kind of going on his own because he said no, he's on the way to the grandmaster. He's not quite the grandmaster, but then like he's going to have a long road to being the grandmaster if he keeps taking losses like this. But something about uh, this is a weird side. Like I remember, or, actually never mind. I can talk about this when we get to the end of my event. Never mind. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to your point keep a note of it though and sort of next match that we had I'm not going to go too heavily into this but um, it is kind of a continuation of multiple feuds we had a, a big sort of a big massive tag match Bullet Club we had JY, Evil, Yujiro ELP and Ishimori up against the Chaos team of Yano, Okada Goto, Ishii and Yoshihashi really Continuing the main feuds that we're getting continuous were, as we've discussed a little bit, Evil and Okada's bad blood, um, and also Jay White. Get their injuries off. I knew he would stay in Japan. He wasn't going to WWE. No fucking way. He came back and he went straight for Big Tam. He went big for Big Tam Ishii because he's got big buzz to do that because I wouldn't even think about doing that myself. <laughs> uh, I mentioned this on, on Central. Uh, when about the time it happened that they did this so smartly because like Joel said that his contract would have been run about the time of the Rumble so he could have appeared if he was going to and so like they have Hiroshima on the 30th nothing on the 31st of the 31st of the Rumble be like oh see why he didn't show up and then 1st of February end of the road end of road 2 he pops up and like I said it's probably smart that we skipped over uh, the second stage of uh, the road the road to New again because the main story about that is Jay White coming back and we could have easily covered it when talking about these two nights. But yeah, it was nice to hear me kind of picked up where I left off. I wasn't entirely convinced he was going to go to because I thought like he still got stuff he could still do. There's still plenty of time. But you know, like 
I think it is the smart decision they came back and you know agreed to talk about when we talk about the uh, the match in night two. You know where he kind of goes from here. If he's going to go, how soon it will be before he goes back to the the double goal? Because he did say like maybe I was wrong. It's still my destino, but I was just off by a little bit. That's it. I mean, I think when we get to the night two, we can we can dive a little bit deeper into White's return and some of the events that transpired to lead to the match that happens on night two. Uh, the next match we had was again just really there to keep things to kind of pad the card out and to kind of give a teaser for the next night. We had Naito and Sonada teaming against Honma and Ibushi. Um, the kind of two main things to us. We know Sonada and Ibushi is our main event on night two. We can talk about that a lot more when we get there. I want to take a little moment, Naito and Honma. This kind of mini-feud that happened through the Road 2 shows and with this. I have never pissed myself laughing so much as when I heard Naito taking the piss out of Honma in the backstage comments and he just, this is Honma doing the promo. <laughs> I was absolute in hysterics. I was like, Naito is just ripping the piss here. Like he is just going all out on the fact that Honma has got that throat issue or what that makes him talk like he's been smoking fags for the last 300 years <laughs> this was the, the point I was going to I was going to talk, comment on the Hodma uh, Nigel thing but because like it seemed like that was the only thing that was left for Nigel because he was the only person that in LIG who didn't have a singles match on any of the major new beginning shows he was just constantly be appearing in tags and doing stuff with Homer like when he hit the Destino and then took the piss by getting a longer count getting up to like 25 on one show and like I was going <laughs> to like in the lead up to this, I was thinking of saying like, "Oh, like I wasn't sure. Like, is this the best we've got for Naito after the double gold?" And like, because there was a big like ten man tag, with, like all five of Lig versus like their their challengers for New Beginning. Like, so you had like Show and Ibushi and that on the other side, and like you saw about to see the order they came in one by one, and Naito came out third, like after before like Sonada and Jingle. So it felt like he was slipping down the totem pole of his own faction, but I think. Uh, my mind's kept been swayed by what happened like at the end of night two, so that kind of has an idea. Like as more feel like, oh, they haven't totally forgot about night two. Yeah, and I, I think, I think booking wise, I would actually love to see some other companies kind of do a similar approach. You know, um, I think other companies, especially things like WWE, are guilty of like forcing your you lose the belt, you have a rematch for it, you turn it into like a best of three series or what. They had Nigel literally go from the top of the pole to like pretty much having a miniature feud with a guy that's pretty much a jobber these days. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was weird because they had this big like, elimination match and it came down to Honma and Naito. And Naito uh, lost to Honma and that was where I was getting a bit concerned about what exactly they were had planned for him. Yeah, and I think like you know, I think a, a comparison I could think of would be if you go back to the days of like um, Zack Ryder and John Cena in WWE, it would be like John Cena always in the WWE belt and then going into a feud with Zack Ryder. You'd be like, what the, what the fuck's going on here? What, what are you playing at? But you know, and mm-hmm. even having like Ryder getting a win over Cena, th- this is pretty much what's happened there. But it, you know, like people would immediately jump, be like, oh, they're burying this person. It, it's not burying. It's actually just, it's actually quite clever what they've done. Yeah, I think so. When uh, when you actually look at like the whole the, the program as a whole, and you see what happened on night two, I was a little way. Even though I expect people who who listen to the show to have seen it already, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because otherwise 
you know, we've spoiled a lot for people so far. They haven't seen it, just but just so happen to tune into this episode. That's it. I mean, before we before we accidentally spoil everything for our, for our loved listeners, we'll go like the se- the semi main event on night one. God, these dangerous techers. A match which, when I looked on Twitter after it happened, I enjoyed this match. I enjoyed the finish. A lot of people did not like it. A lot of people got pissed off with how it ended. <laughs> Mainly because New Japan had the balls to go for almost half an hour and then end it in a DQ. <laughs> yeah, I was very jarring because like, uh, I actually thought the match at WrestleMania was a lot shorter than I thought it would be. Whereas this match, I'd maybe shave five minutes off of it. Uh, there was stuff to enjoy like the shenanigans with like uh, Tama coming out with all those boxes and claiming that the iron gloves in one of these like you can either have our IWGP tag team titles or you can trade it all for what's in this box <laughs> the box the box the box and then like he keeps turning through all of them it's not in there it's not in there so it's a boxing glove in one of them and then like Kanemaru's joined the Japanese commentary and the last bag is with him and then the wait till the Tama changes his tone, you think, oh, the gloves in there, and you open it, and it's not in there. It's just like Tama just like taking the right piss with dangerous takers. I think what annoys people is that the way they did like the DQ with like Taiji going mental when he finally got the glove back. The fact, I think, is the fact that on night two, Yuri seemed to have like moved on already to like a new set of like challengers is what kind of annoys people, and also like, given the fact that. New Japan don't tend to go this long and then end in a DQ. So I think, you know, that's maybe some New Japan's kind of purists kind of annoyed by this kind of change from the, the norm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the match itself, I thought, was was a much better match than their last encounter. It, it flowed a lot more. It had a lot more sort of... The shenanigans to me had me in hysterics. Like, Kanemaru thinking he's found Iron Fingers and it's a, it's a bloody bra. It's just a bra. We've had rubber chickens. We've had bog roll. <laughs> like it's just been the most random stuff coming out of the bags and just Tama. Although I still I'm still unable to get over Tama without a beard with the, the haircut as well. I just cannot deal with it. It looks it looks like bloody Maui from Moana. <laughs> I know, it is kind of jarring to get used to and the shenanigans and it really shouldn't take away from how good of a match it was. I do agree, like he had also a thing like they 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 had me going for a second thinking that Takers uh, had this one when they had the, the Zach Mephisto at one point, and like you also had Jado on the outside. You can never like be too careful when Jado's are there. But then they had Doki coming out to uh, you know like kind of, kind of balance it out. And you, I wonder like are they trying to tease for a, a Jado versus Doki match? You know the Kendo thing versus the pipe. Which I really want that to happen. I'd, I would quite enjoy that for a nice wee sort of singles, wee throwaway fun match to happen and. Honestly, though, I think Taichi's selling when he finally got the glove almost like a man possessed. But it was like something took over. The fact that he almost went and rattled Kanemaru with the damn thing, I was like, holy shit, son. Get him, dude. I know. Like, he even hit, nearly hit Zach at one point and they had to kind of take it off him. And like, when they came out the second night for their match, he had it in his wee like, like, pouch thing or whatever you call it. And like, he was in there, but he didn't take it out, but he just knows it's there. And so it's like, yeah, see, you've got the back, and they're kind of reassuring him. They're like, the kids are like, don't let him take it out again because he'll go mental. I don't. It was. It was definitely. It was. It was a. It was a fun match. You know, it, there isn't really much more else we can say about it. It was there. It, 
it, it, it has divided opinion and I know for a lot of people you will get people that uh, to me G.O.D. are one of the best tag teams but it depends on what version of G.O.D. comes out whether the match is absolutely outstanding or pretty average um, mm-hmm. I felt we I felt we got the dangerous enjoyable G.O.D. Um, against dangerous techers that night um, but yeah then it set us up very nicely we had a good semi-main the main event a match which I was buzzing for Show v Hiromu, Show getting a crack at that junior heavyweight belt. Was this match what you were hoping for? I should say before, it's like I think we all get tenure checkers in GOD again, and because now they're the same right, not the fact that also they lost to GOD in World Tag League as well. So the idea that tenure checkers haven't beaten GOD yet, but I think that gives you something that's intriguing to look out for next time they end up across the ring from each other, but. Yeah, this match was uh, it was very much a war for the most part. Like at it, like they said afterwards, after like it went like thirty-five minutes. Apparently, according to uh, Kevin Kelly, said that he heard he was being told that this is the longest like junior heavyweight title match in history, which is bizarre to me that a match hasn't gone like this long for the title like yet. And of course, it's going to be someone like Kuroma that has it happen. And the fact that like he's having the longest matches the longest match for the junior heavyweight title. He's having the match, the highest build on a, a Tokyo Dome show being in the same I mean with that title. He's main event in shows like this, like night one. This kind of gives, gives more pain to the idea that maybe him saying that he thinks the junior heavyweight title should main event the Tokyo Dome one day uh, isn't exactly out of the realm of possibility. And like, I remember during this match, like, there were so many good spots. Like, I remember when I said, like, I like to win Doki counter, flip down counter the, yeah, the, like cross jacket and a pile driver and then Hiroma did a similar version of it as well when he got out of it and it actually made me think like show like I uh, had me thinking watching it that you know Hiroma versus Ibushi for the for the champion like, champion match on the anniversary uh, show sounds like a, a match of the year kind of part of me is thinking like you know I actually wouldn't mind if show won and we got show versus Ibushi because I think that would have been intriguing as well yeah I mean the idea of show versus Ibushi it definitely intrigues me as well because the two of them have got like a very similar build in regards to how they're physically made and like their their move sets and that have got certain similarities with like the power behind them because show is probably the most explosively powerful junior that they've got now since Shingo went up to the heavyweights and it was the match went it went through that it done to me what an epic big long match should do. It went through the gears. It went. It didn't just go straight to the top. It, it built itself like starting out with that solid like, strike exchange, and it just eventually it's like something flipped in the two of them, and they seem to have the chemistry to know to do it exactly at the same time where they go, "Let's go up a notch." You're on, pal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the strike exchange it wasn't as long as it, but it just reminded me like this time last year where it was a uh, Hiromu versus a uh, Dragon Lee or Ryu Lee. When they had that first five minutes, it was just all chops. So, you know, you'll forget, I think, sometimes that Hiromu can go strike for strike if he wants to. And then, yeah, have also the usual, like, dangerous, like, spots with Hiromu, like, trying to do the, doing the sense of flip powerbomb on the outside. And then, also, you, you worry when uh, he's getting set up with, like, because, you know, Show does, like, the, the pile driver. And, you know, also, the history with Hiromu's neck, it makes you almost kind of worry whenever he's been set up for that kind of move. And... It was like it was as physical as you, you'd hoped it to be, and it got you talking. And obviously, you had EOP on commentary, basically rooting for Show because he just didn't doesn't like Hiromu. And he makes a point like 
well, show wins here, how can we guarantee that show will be the face of the the junior division? How will we, he be the ace? Because maybe the same thing will happen to him, what happened to Ishimori, with Hiromi always being featured, always being in the main event, and obviously they were setting the stage for EOP to kind of try and step up and try and take the belt from Hiromi himself. Yeah, I mean that's I love ELP and commentary really did set the gears the gears in motion and set you thinking about things and even ELP making out to be the fact that well a feet show so you know if he wants to win that belt fair enough because I know I can beat him that was that was it was a very clever heel move that speaking of like the, the moves as well that are pulled out I still get got the fear with that cross jacket pile driver that showed on in Hiromu. Mm-hmm. Just makes me feel ill when I look at it because I'm like, no, not in the neck, not in the neck. Not, oh god, they done it in the neck. Oh no. <laughs> I know it's like you think most people would give it, would be concerned with like what spots it that may cause damage to their neck after they've come back from injury. Hiromu has like Hiromu seems to just welcome moves that purposely seem to just drop them on that neck, and he still doesn't like seem to care about it. And and also the fact that this is again one of the few handful of times that he's a. Uh, He's done the the time bomb too, and given the fact this is a main event and like a main event uh, for the title and one of the like, key shows of the year, uh, it says something that he had to pull out time bomb too. Cause he's only had to do it, like a handful of times. Like I think he did the Ishimori Desperado now show a couple of times. He did the Osprey. So you look at the kind of people you think it, it kind of, it's almost a compliment that he has to pull out that move. Cause you see the people he's had to beat with that move. Yeah, it's it's like the time bomb too is pretty much like probably the it's it's up there like with things like the one winged angel and that once it gets hit, no one's getting out of it. It is yeah. the it is the game changer and he hit it, he set it out, and you know as we expected, I, I love the ELP's way of doing it because we did have the whole thing about you 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 can't be jumping out from commentary and attacking the wrestlers even if you are a wrestler yourself doing commentary. ELP's work around. Right, Kevin, I'm retired. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you came back, I think we're at the semi main match saying, like, oh, yeah, like I'm retired. I'm com- I'm out of retirement. People want me back. I've given you what you want. And it says, oh, yeah, I've, I've retired again. Because I remember checking the, the website before New Beginning and Hiroshima had seen that, oh, on the news section, the website says, who can go receive citation? I'm like, oh, is this a KP thing or a real thing? But it was like, Goto and Yoshiashi had both been on commentary and like went to the barricade to beat up like Jay White as part of the build to the to the six man tag team match and so also they're putting this warning and then like Kim Kill like, Oh he's going by the barricade like they're not gonna have us let us have guest commentators anymore. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious and I, I did love the fact that you know ELP came out, um Ishimori helped him as well, and then Bushi came out to even it out and the challenge was laid out. We've mm-hmm. got two I love the fact that from this, we didn't just get one title match. We got two title matches. ELP wants a shot at the junior belt. Hiromu says yes. But only if you put those junior tag belts on the line. I love that. That was a clever, clever move that we got. And it means that we do have the junior tag belt defended on the last Road 2 show for Castle Attack on the 25th of February. And then the 28th, we get that junior singles match, which is... Again, reinforcing where we're talking about it being the big deal. It's the semi-main event. The junior belt is just getting more and more important. Yeah, like, again, raising that prestige. And I think the fact that they put the, 
the tag title match, so uh, right at the end of uh, Road 2, is going to make you wonder and maybe try... Because like, this could go either way, you know, like uh, the t- both sets of titles could change hands and only one of them couldn't, or neither of them could change hands. And if you think like, oh, like the idea of like EOP and Ishimori when like, they retain, then EOP's got the momentum, but if Hiromu and Bushi win, then they've got the momentum. And it's an interesting idea because we, we talked a lot that we'd be intrigued to see Bushi and Hiromu with junior tag chance, but then like they lost like almost three times in a row to Suzuki-gun. Like, and you're like, what the hell are they doing with these guys? Because like, Bushi's been junior tag champ before uh, with Shingo, but he and Hiromu have never been champs here. You know, they've challenged a number of times. And, you know, I, you know, I know some people really want Hiromu versus, you know, Bushi at the anniversary show. But, you know, there's a small fan right at the back when you think, like, oh, God, imagine pure dick uh, ELP going against the Bushi and eventually triggering him so much that he... He, that murdered wish he comes out and just shuts up El, El Fantasma. Yeah, and I mean, there is an interesting point that, like, the junior tag belts, it's something that Hiromu's never held, which yeah, and is, it, is a it, very it, interesting it, point. It is making both, like, titles mean something, the ones so putting them in the one feud, because, you know, it happened before when, like, Osprey was junior champion, and, like, he was kind of feeling with ELP and Ishimori, and so in the process, he got him and Robbie Eagles a tag title shot, and then obviously a singles match in him having EOP. So the idea of like making raising the profile of both sets of titles, you know, at once because like there's a there's a possibility that either EOP or uh, Hiromu could like be holding both uh, one of the junior tag belts and the main junior belt at the one time, and uh, I think like Kushida and Finn Balor have been like the last couple of guys to do that. And so it's not, not something that's happened in quite a while. And it's interesting that EOP is getting a title shot now because for me, I thought they were going to do Super Juniors uh, this year, but maybe we try and put it to where it usually is. If that's like capable, if they're able to do that, he would have been like one of my picks to win it. Yeah, it's uh, to me the match itself. It did surprise me the fact that EOP is the one to challenge next, especially after he lost to Hiromu. But it maybe draws us back to the fact that when Hiromu beat him. It wasn't by a move; it was it was a roll up. Mm. So we now yeah. have a way we have, we have a, an in there by El Fantasma game. Wait, you you flipped that, and I've got sudden death now. So, mm. yeah, because I think a lot of people were kind of deflated by the way that match ended. But really, when you think about it, they just left that door open uh, for this kind of opportunity. And yeah, like featuring again the junior heavyweight title on our main show, and then given the fact that the junior heavyweight champ is going to main event the following. Big show, the anniversary show, uh, against also the heavyweight champion as they usually do. It's just the idea of like, see like Hiromu or ELP wanting to be there, that guy to help carry the junior division forward. That's it. It's, it. There's so many possibilities coming out of this, and you know whatever happens with the junior belts at Castle Attack, that'll probably be them setting stone pretty much up until. I'm, I'm hoping that Best of Super Juniors will happen its usual time this year, around about May. Fingers crossed for it. Um, but whatever happens, I, th- I think that wh- whoever gets holds the belts come the end of February is going to probably hold on to them right through to the, the end of May, probably going into June. Now that I think about it, I think the main, this may be the main reason that Bushy beat Master Wattle to help give him a bit of momentum before he teams with uh, Hiromu. I think, I think you're actually right there. Now, I've not actually thought about that until you've said it there, but as soon as you say that, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. 
kind of just popped into my head there when I was really thinking about it because I did see he was he kind of slipped down a little bit in terms of like like the totem pole of Lig, but now he's got a, a singles win on his uh, on that because like other than like the Doki and Yuamura, who you can't expect to take a lot of losses, he didn't have the best like best of super juniors, so he kind of needed a bit more of a platform. That's it. Um... It's it's definitely it's making sense. And now that we're we're speaking with Wato, I think we can move on to night two. We we mentioned the opening match, which was Tekers and Doki against the Young Lions, and it's kind of showing that Tekers is kind of maybe taking a little back seat while the New Japan Cup comes up. And I'd say we move on to the match two, and we talk about we just mentioned them, Wato, who teamed with Sho and Honma against the Suzuki Gun team of Kanemaru, Suzuki, and El Desperado. Wasn't a bad we match this for like a kind of six man that was just kind of put in there. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I think they, I think there was a different kind of match uh, advertised uh, a few days before because I think they took a while to update because they kind of hyped up that oh some of the cards have to be shuffled around uh, for the because because of Jay White's return where they advertised like one set of matches and then they said oh Jay White's returned and now he's he's wanting a uh, six man title match. So we've had to shuffle the card around. They made that, that idea of like stuff being like New Japan had to be on their toes. But yeah, it was a decent match, you know. Again, battle renewing hostilities with Suzuki and the fact that he was on like the winning team kind of helped them like pick himself back up again from the fault from the previous night against Bushi. That's it. He got the he got the win um, pinning Kanemaru. So get some get some a win. Where it's mm-hmm. going to go from here. I have not a Scooby, but we'll see what happens with that. Again, you know, it's one of those matches. It's it's kind of it's kind of there to pad out the car the card a little bit, similar to the following match where we got Bushi and Hiromu and Naito against ELP Ishimori and Yujiro, which uh, I think maybe you'll agree with me on this one. It was kind of there just to really cement the challenge that was made the night before and kind of really light the torch on this feud going forwards between the kind of the two junior tag teams yeah pretty much yeah and obviously then you got uh, Yujiro in there just to be like another member of Bullet Club so you had the three on three dynamic before we, we finally found out what Knight was going to do at Castle Attack when I seen him and Yujiro against each other I remember they used to be part of a tag team I thought like like because it seemed like they were doing something him and Honma I'm like I had the idea like why are they doing wasting time with Naito and Honma why aren't they like, even doing something that even has a bit of history, him and Yujiro, you know, if it's just a throwaway thing, at least there's a it's kind of a callback to when they were partners, like, all those years ago. But, you know, then I realised that, oh, yeah, silly me, they've actually got more important plans for Naito. That's it. They're always... They all, they're, they're very good at doing that in New Japan. They make you think, what, what are you doing this for? Oh, wait, it's a complete red herring. There is a plan. There is something going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But... Then, then you know, there's not really much else you can say about it. We'll we'll plod on to the the next match or one match that became two matches and probably became the new beginning tour's biggest case of blue balls yet. <laughs> we had Yano teaming with Okada, an absolute dream tag team as far as I'm concerned, against Evil and Dick Togo. The uh, really there isn't really much you can say about the beginning match. It went to account out after less than ninety seconds. <laughs> yeah, I think the official time is like a minute 27 and uh, Kevin Kelly even said that I, I'm pretty sure Yano's ring construction was longer and I don't think he's that far off but yeah, like I'd certainly like 
tune out of an account out of until it gets to around about 15 or 16 because they do love like doing that a lot like really catching up the guy keeps getting back in at 19 but it got to a point where like they seemingly had no interest in getting back in and like are they actually going to do the count out and, like, it was a bit deflating at first because it seemed like you know, like oh they're just keeping the score and then they had the, the challenge from Naito like oh, are they actually going to do it now and he had Reds just coming out and all the officials are like are we going to we going to we going to do it we're going to do it and <laughs> really and PJ and like they didn't do like most like singles matches uh, do like like a slowly feed out because also they were so like angry and like wanting to get each other for the five minutes that it did go it was just all go no, to me like I was quite surprised they'd done that because to me that came across as a very Western booking move, like we're used to, like WWE doing it. Like you know, you get a singles match, it goes to a double, like a no contest, or whatever, and then it turns into a tag match, or in some cases, turns from a four man to a six man to an eight man to the human centipede match. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is really the opposite of the Teddy Long formula tag match turning into a singles match. Like, and like I, I had a feeling that they were going to eventually do it because like the night before, I think it was uh, after the the big tag match. Okay, I guess said evil. Why don't you step in the ring? We'll do a single match right now. And evil like, am I good at it? No, I'm not. And he buggered off. And <laughs> so they finally, they finally goaded evil in enough to do it. And it's weird the fact that they chose to have like Togo get involved while evil had him in the, the Scorpion Deathlock, uh, and not when Okada had him in the Money Clip, where it seemed like evil had things in hand. But it's the idea like that Togo's lending up to his name a spoiler, and. I don't know if they've really said why Evil doesn't want to face Okada and give him what he wants. Maybe the idea, like, Okada wants to fight him because of, like, the New Japan Cup last year. But Evil's like, oh, I beat you. I went on it when the double gold, so I have nothing to prove. That's it. I think it's kind of like Evil's just doing it, really, just to be like his compadre's name. He's just trying to be a dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know. But, you know, Evil could only dodge it for so long. That match is official. It's the main event for night one of Castle Attacks, Saturday the twenty seventh of February. The uh, the night of singles matches, really. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, it's it's going to be one of those matches that it's the main event. I can see why it's the main event, but I think there's another match which we're still to discuss, which I see would have been more fitting for the main event. But Evil Okada, the record is four to Okada, two to Evil. I'm I'm mm-hmm. open to it. I, I, I'm going to make Stephen Wilson watch it. <laughs> uh, I do think, like, when you see what we've got for night two of Castletown, and this seems like a decent, like, main event for, for night one. Like, it, it makes sense why this is the main event. It's had enough of a build. And it's the idea that like, the New Japan match, because they're like, right, you've dodged it enough, uh, but now we're taking the decision away from you. You're going to have this match with Okada. It's going to be the main event. And I'm surprised that they didn't, like, try to add some sort of stipulation or no DQ thing to it. To try and like, that's what I thought was the reason for Dick Togo just getting involved and causing a DQ. I think further or otherwise, it was just like a case of like again the spoiler. No, Bullet Club just try further piss off the fans. Well, it's it's it, it, to me like it would it would actually really suit the no DQ stipulation, um, just so that they can really go hell for there. Because well, has got a bit more focus. Like when he gets pissed off, like the, like when he ran after Evil with a chair and just pretty much went and swung for it. I was like, this is this is interesting. This is Okada's kind of bringing a wee bit of a mean streak out there. It's Evil's got under his skin enough. Yeah, because like, you got Evil, like, you bring out the chair there at the spot where you got the chair in the neck and the hat with the other chair, and you got Togo with like the gadget that he uses. Like, usually, in normal attitudes, I'm calling like, the way of distracting the ref while they get that spot in, whereas 
it's perfectly illegal in a no DQ match, but uh, I think either way, this will be a similar to this match in that I think given it all the build when they finally do have the match, even though it's the main event and like to sometimes let the main event build, I think it's because of like they just go right at each other like okay, I just goes right after evil. Yeah, I think you're you're right in the money there, and I, I am looking forward to it happening. Um, you know, it was it, it was it was one of those things. It, it felt very odd for Japan, but I think that's the thing. The the pandemic's forced them to rethink their booking at times, and they're just taking more risks. And sometimes it pays off. And this is one where on the night it perhaps felt a little bit anticlimactic that we didn't get the singles match. But now that it's properly built, and we've got another two weeks to build it up. They're, they're either going to, they're, it's going to go one of two ways. They're either going to smash it out of the park or it is going to be awful. <laughs> yeah, because like, uh, from what I remember, their match in uh, the New Japan Cup final was, uh, was was better than I expected to be because obviously we didn't know at the time that they were going to give Evil this kind of semi push in this like, role in Bullet Club. So now that they've got history now with like Evil, he's done what Okada couldn't do. He's won like the double gold. So the idea of these two in the main event is quite intriguing to see how how they pull it off. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's something to look forward to. And we'll move on to the, the, the semi-main. Um, I, I'm still up in the air whether I find this or the main event my favourite match across the whole tour because I'm, I'm not going to lie, the six-man tag title match between Ishii, Yoshihashi and Goto against Jay White with G.O.D. was just absolutely stellar. What a match! And uh, to me, the biggest the biggest fun fact that I loved was what Kevin Kelly pointed out before the match that that Chaos Trio were ten and zero in the last year going in, and twenty one and one all time. And yet, it was the first time Jay White had teamed with God as a trio. Like the the the, the stats there, I was like, wait, what? I never realised this. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Scott Steiner kind of thing. You know, the numbers don't lie. They just they spell disaster for you, Hiroshima. Because <laughs> uh, like despite that, I don't think a lot of people knew about that. But I think regardless, I think a lot of people still would have taken the Bullet Club trio to kind of be the the favourites mainly because of Jay White just coming back I and mean, going right into this program. And he he does make a good point. Like, see, you care about these titles because I am involved in them. And I kind of it's true because he comes back and goes right into the mix with these six man belts, which makes you sit up and take notice. You know, if you whether or not you cared about these these belts and well, I think that, like, especially the, the LIG trio of uh, Bushi, Shingo, and Sanad, and, and Evil, when they were six-man champs, they had some great matches over the belts last year. This is probably my favourite six-man title match I've ever seen in New Japan. And, like, the idea of, like, Yoshiashi being the one to get a win for his team, like, given the fact that in a big, like, elimination match on the road to, he was kind of left on a three-on-one, getting just battered by G.O.D. and Jay White, and Feeling like the wee like because he got worked over for a lot of this match, and obviously it was all about kind of building to eventually Jay White and Ishii getting in the ring together. But I mean, part of the reason I thought that God and Jay White were going to win as well was the fact that they had both Shadow and Gido out there. I thought, well, they've got not one but two like heel managers out there technically, so surely this it's going to be a shenanigans finish with Jay White and that winning. But even with like Shadow getting at one point and hitting Yoshashi with a kendo stick. They had the butterfly lock and they, the fact that Bill Club still didn't win was surprising to me. And then they pointed out, oh, he's pinned Tangaloa and now he, and he pinned Tama in the World Tag League. So this basically then set up for uh, Yoshiashi and Goto 
to get another shot at the tag team titles this time it's G.O.D. even though G.O.D. seemed like no and no rush to oblige them getting a title shot yeah and I, I absolutely love the build up to this like Jay White coming back going for Ishii being the antagonist um, like pissing off Goto to the point that Goto jumped over commentary and keeping it kayfabe go, like Jay White backstage comments saying Goto should be punished for the fact that he he jumped the barrier as a commentator and attacked him. And then, like, Golden Yoshihashi into it as well. When Yoshihashi was in commentary, it was, like, Chaos came into that with, like, a really mean, angry, like, old-style Chaos feel because they were pissed off. And Yeah, because they said on commentary, Kim Chaos said that it's weird, it's not, it wasn't that long ago that Chaos were the bullies on the block and now that role was the role taken up by Bullet Club. And, I remember when Ishii and Jay White got like in the ring together. There was some flashbacks for me for like their, their G1, the G one clash, where they like you have Jay hitting all these moves like Kiwi Crusher, the big suplex. They still couldn't get the the bloody uh, you couldn't get the Blade Runner in, and like that really like killing. But if he said that, maybe he'd have won. That sets the intrigue up for that singles match between the two that's going to happen at Castle Attack. And I can't, I can't remember was, was it Jay or when it's but like. I remember there was this big running sequence where like all three members of uh, of Chaos were hitting like big like singles moves like one after the other like they had like GTR running sliding lar- the sliding knees from Nochiati. Oh god, that was that was outstanding, and there was a lot of little things in the match that really like there was a, a smooth bit where like they, they tried launching Tama into Tanga, and he just managed to turn it into like he just pulled Tanga out of the corner and launched him instead um, right back at them, which is beautiful and. Probably the, the funniest little moment, the look of confusion on Tamatonga's face when Yoshihashi was getting fired up. He's looking as if to go, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> he just like, had that we, little moment. We, we, we've been beating a shit out of you for the past 10 minutes. <laughs> he just looked absolutely confused, like, what the fuck is going on? What is this? And they just, <laughs> Yoshihashi is just screaming in the middle of the ring, getting fired up. And I was like, this is bloody brilliant. This is like, I, I'll be honest, I usually absolutely fucking love the Yoshihashi. I don't really see much interest in him, but for some reason, in six-man tag matches, he's absolutely dynamite. He's brilliant. He's so entertaining. Yeah, he seems to think he's called as part of the six-man champions, and I almost forgot that the, he and Goto had beaten G.O.D. in the uh, the uh, World Tag League tournament, and I remember at the time, I think I, then I remembered at the time that I'd said, like, God, a G.O.D. don't get to the finals because of these two pricks, I'm going to be very angry. But then, no, they got managed to let G.O.D. go to the final, but also at the same time set up this match down the line, and they did it again here. So we've got a night two of Castle Attack, uh, G.O.D. defending against Yoshashi and Goto, but I believe on night one of Castle Attack, it's G.O.I. versus E.C., which makes sense. And like you've got random singles matches with uh, Tama versus Goto, and Yoshashi versus Tangaloa, which make a bit less sense for me. Yeah, they're like they're like making like the like the tag team challengers have singles matches with the tag team or like the tag champs on night one really confuses me. Although Tama should not be looking forward to that because Haruki Goto has a five and zero record against Tama Tonga. But I, I think it could be an interesting one. I'm I'm willing to give it a shout. I I am definitely firmly in the boys now. As much as I love Tama Tonga. I am starting to see Tangaloa as the better of the two gorillas in the ring. Hmm. I think 
Do you think maybe Jay White versus Ishii probably could have been put in the main event slot of night one over Okada Evil? I feel it should have. I feel it's had more build after what happened at New Year's Dash when Jay White was the broken man, leaving us wondering if we were ever going to see him in Japan again. And Ishii was like, pick yourself back up, son. Come back. Get an Argo. He's probably sitting there going, I shouldn't have fucking said that now. See, and see, it technically goes back even further, actually, when you think about it with the G1, and it was him that beat Jay White and mathematically stopped him getting to the final. But obviously he got there to which kind of anyway, but I think Jay White is probably a favourite to win the New Japan Cup. And if he, before he goes into the tournament, and if he beats Ishii, who stopped him getting through the G1 final, this could kind of set like, Jay White back up. We can get more confidence. Think, like, I'm going to stroll through this New Japan Cup. I'm going to get the, the double gold I should have already gotten. You know, I'm going to be the champion you know, of my destino and all that. Yeah, I think I think you've got a good money. You're, you're a, you've got a good point there because yeah, goes all the way back. To, like Ishii is pretty much the only person to have like pretty much two victories over Jay White, and it's Jay White is like, I need to get, I need to overcome this. This is the white whale that I need to beat, and this six man tag match done a, a brilliant job of setting up two big matches, a singles and a tag title match, and all six men came out of it. Looking like stars, it, it was. It was just really. It was a. The six man tags sometimes feel forgotten about, but I do have to admit, in the last year, when they have been brought back out, they make the matches count. They make you remember them. Yeah, totally. And like, honestly, I don't expect Goto uh, and Yoshashi to win the tag team titles, but next time they defend those six man belts, I will be up and taking notice after a match like this. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. And leading us on to the last match of the entire New Beginning Tour, um, the, the 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 biggest one that was really built up, going all the way back to Wrestle Kingdom when Sanada laid the challenge, we finally got Sanada and Ibushi for the double gold. And this match is, to me, a textbook Sanada-Ibushi match. It was exactly what I thought would happen. Some interesting surprises in like you know, as much as I'm saying that what I expect to happen, it was still fantastic. I absolutely loved this match. I'd I'd probably actually say it was a bit better than their G1 climax final match. I'd say this was my favourite match of the, the the night and possibly the whole like, New Begin tour. And uh, weirdly, it didn't actually go that much longer than the uh, than the, the six man tag match because the six man tag title match went 27 minutes and one second. This went 27 minutes 51 seconds. I really would have wouldn't mind if they went a bit further and again tying back to G one, you know, this was the G one final and uh, I'll say Sanada lost there but then got some confidence back when he beat Evil and then uh, he challenged Ibushi for uh, the two belts. And I liked uh David Jr. he had a bit on commentary and it's sort of very technical but then just right before the five minute call you've got Sanada doing a kind of a dragon screwed net breaker on the outside with Ibushi's like legs across the guardrail. And uh, he got said to him, like, well, that just escalated. I don't know, I was enjoying the grappling. <laughs> I love that. I just basically, like, Kevin, I was enjoying the grappling. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just that kind of way. I, I'd say my only problem with Zach's commentary was the fact that sometimes he was quite quiet, so it's actually difficult to hear him at points. But the bits that you did hear were just pure gold. Yeah, like that, the, that was an issue for me. So I think I think he's, kind of, he's a bit too soft-spoken, uh, maybe because he's not used to commentary as well, that... 
sometimes he, he his commentary wasn't getting picked up. Yeah, that's that's definitely it. But the you know even without even with take away the commentary, the match itself had some absolutely outstanding manoeuvres and some really really cool counters that I didn't expect to see. Um, like you know the the pop up TKO countering the Kamigoye was chef's kiss. Mwah. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Bushu took some like really like, nasty bumps as well. Like the uh, when he took the version of the other being like thrown head first into the turnbuckle, his head probably just top of his head right into the the pad. Still looks kind of nasty, and then the dodgy looking like a TKO off the apron. Even though he kind of landed feet first, he still like you can still see his head at the the mats. Uh, so like some unique moves the fact that uh, Ibushi kind of did the bit where he did the thing to the back of the head the Kamigoi and then the front same way he beat Joey but that wasn't enough to beat Sanada and then they had that close uh, like n- near fall with the uh, the O'Connor roll and even the thing all of it when the thing he was even like he got his hammer there like am I it are you sure is that too is that too <laughs> and like you talk about perfect counters I, I love this like I even like went oh nice like when he went to that roll again but he had Ibushi put his hands up and holding Sanada's body up so he couldn't get like the pressure to hold them down for the pin. Like I just I really enjoy like moves like that. See that that counter of the O'Connor roll into the Kamigoya to the back of the head. I was like, fucking hell man, that's an execution attempt. That's a murder. And also like because obviously Sanada obviously keep kept going for the uh the skull end as he often does. Uh, which I think was smart after he'd done that spot on the outside with the uh, dragon screen netbreaker and he had Zach Sabre Jr. kind of saying like, oh, you know, the dragon screen dragon sleeper doesn't uh, get enough get enough uh, credit, you know, but it's actually and he starts explaining how deadly the move can be and then Sanada maybe unwisely letting go to try and do the minsault like first to the back and then goes right on the front and then also suffers the fear of getting the knees up which he's had in the past and then also the fact that it went so quickly from two Kamigoyes kicked out, that close to kind of roll kick out, and then final Kamigoy with the knee exposed, just like kept you guessing back and forth for those last few minutes, I think is what really helped sell this match for me. Yeah, I mean, it constantly at points where you thought that was it, it kept on going, it kept on escalating, and, you know, Sanada really kept his cool throughout it, even hitting his own version of the Kamigoy, which looked vicious because it was a standing one. Like, I thought he was trying to decapitate Ibushi. Um, Sabre did make a good point as well, I thought, which you never really hear a lot of people mention it on commentary and that. It's so hard to actually get your knees up when you've taken so much punishment. And also, yeah, you get the knees up and you give them a good one. But it actually does a lot to yourself as well. You mm. actually really, you, you, you put the knees up, you actually put a lot of pressure on them because that's all the weight coming down them. So yeah, it hurts the person landing on you. But it hurts you as well. It sucks. Yeah. I don't think a lot of fans really give that much thought because, like, the idea, like, yeah, you've hurt them, but that's a, still a few, full human coming down with all their body weight onto your knees, so it is going to hurt you in a sense. And all the like, kind of escalation was like the Kamigoi's kind of being like officially the match-ending move for Ibushi because, like, he pulled out the the last ride less than like ten minutes into the match. I remember there was a time where that would be kind of his like final move. But now to show how deadly the Kamigoi is and how that's basically like final shot. Like you get one, maybe kick out of two, if, depending on who you are, but a third one, like you're not getting up for this one. Yeah, that's it. And once he put him down, I love that Ibushi was showing Sanada respect. Like he was like proper bound to him, like, you know, brilliant match. And then 
the big surprise. Naito came out. I, it's the way when Naito came out at Zack Sabre Jr. Was, I, I, I wanted a whole main event without this moron being involved. <laughs> What's this ticket doing here? And also, before that, he was asked about, uh, Kim had asked him about, like, what would you do if you had both these, these title belts? Would you find as one? And Zack uh, Jr. just didn't care about the IC belt. Like, well, that, white one, that white one would go straight in the bin as soon as I got it, you know? <laughs> it was hilarious like that, that little touch like that would go straight in the bin and then also turn around to Kevin let's never do this again you know like it's still annoying these two guys are still so handsome <laughs> it was hilarious that, is, that, that and uh, I think he's, he's throwaway line muscles are overrated I never had time for them <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah Bushy's veins even have muscles it's true, like you look at him, like like what Kevin said, Ibushi gets more muscular as the match goes on. He's like a he's like a bloody super saiyan in Dragon Ball Z. He just keeps on evolving as the match goes on. You're like, how can anyone stop that? <laughs> but yeah, you've got like Naito coming out at the end and this right now I'd heard people talking about it like I was trying to avoid the spoilers, but Naito coming out and basically you know, because you didn't have Chris John there to translate, which basically you kinda got what he was going for, but it basically comes out there. He says, "Like I want to face you, but I don't think I'm worthy to challenge you for both belts. Uh, for both belts, after I lost to you in the main event of January fourth, so I'm going to face you for one. I'm going to fight you for the Intercontinental belt because I basically Naito doesn't like the idea of him unifying the belts and basically ending the Intercontinental belt. And so I, I like that idea because I think it's weird the idea of Ibushi idolizes Nakamura." And Nakamura did everything to make the IC belt feel like something worth fighting for. And yet, Bushi's plans would basically make the, basically get rid of that belt that his idol kind of helped make. And I think this is finally, it's given us the opening, like, this could be it. This is how we separate the two belts. Yeah, I mean, this to me is very important that, you know, because one of two things is going to happen. Either Naito is going to win the IC belt and he is going to define it. And he is going to eventually, hopefully, overcome that. It's not Nakamura's belt anymore. This is my belt. This is me that's made the big deal out of it. Or Ibushi is going to be the last ever IC champion and the belts are getting unified. Only going to go one of those two ways. I personally would prefer if Naito won because uh, Ibushi still got the heavyweight title, you know, and Naito is one of the, the top stars in Japan, so it wouldn't hurt Ibushi to lose. To Naito and maybe down the line, uh, Naito can earn himself another shot at the world title against Ibushi. You know, because they feuded over the IC belt and the world belt in the past. Uh, also, I would I'd be sad to see the IC belt go. So I like the idea of being able to separate the belts in a way that still makes the IC belt seem prestigious. And the fact that this would main event night two Castle Attack, that would make it like feel that way. And also, Naito and, and Nakamura are both tied for five reigns. So if Naito wins. Would be a six-time IC champion, and that would be making the most. He's had the most reigns of anybody of that belt, so that'd be a big thing for him. And it's kind of interesting that like how rare certain belts get defended. So that would mean that the the heavyweight belt will be defended again until Abushi fights the New Japan Cup winner, likely at Sakura Genesis at the start of April. Yeah, I, I definitely I like the idea of the the belts getting separated and bringing that prestige back to the IC belt. I think. Even even if you've got to take a slight hit at the beginning and make people go, well, is it really that prestigious? Sometimes you've got to take a step back and rebuild it. And who better to rebuild it than, than Naito? 
Yeah, like I, I definitely agree. And basically, Abushi is kind of doing here what I do always want to do, but didn't get a chance to. He's defending the IC and heavyweight belt separately, which Naito didn't get a chance to do when he had them. That's it. That's also another solid possibility. So, I mean, at this point in time, I'm very, very excited for that main event on Night 2 Castle Tag because, you know, I, I, I do still get cons- gravely concerned for their health when the two of them come together because neither man seems to value their knees or their necks very much, but you know it's going to be an absolute outstanding match. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it kind of makes sense when I do like the idea, like, you were the better man, I make sense of that, but I can't let you... Like just end the legacy of this belt. I myself and Nakamura have worked so hard to build up, so it gives you a logical out for this double gold finally, and you know it gets Nigel back into a meaningful program again in a way that kind of makes sense. Like the idea of like you wait, we waited so long, and finally a logical like opening revealed itself. That's it. So I mean, definitely, and that kind of that conclusion on night to a castle, uh, night not castle attack. God damn it, Grant, you're getting ahead of yourself. You're sh- <laughs> you're you're. Yes, yes, I'm already predicting the future. <laughs> but the, the, that ending of the New Beginning Tour, in Japan at least, because there's, mm-hmm. really, two, there's really two other matches. Um, I'll go quickly into the, the, the one for Castle Attack, which we've not talked about, and that is our glorious king of pro wrestling is putting his title on the line at night one of Castle Attack. We're getting Yano Toru against Chase Owens. I don't know if you've seen it, but have you seen the stipulation that Chase has proposed? I, I hadn't realised that the stipulation has been put out yet, because I know uh, Chase has been in the US. Apparently won the, the Texas heavyweight title, one of the oldest belts that there is. Even though he's not originally from Texas, he just moved there, he's still claiming himself to be Texas's greatest wrestler. Well, that's, that is it. He's claiming himself to be Texas's greatest wrestler, and he's also proposed a Texas strap match. Ooh, interesting, but... Uh, I do feel as long as Jano's involved, it always seems to be his stipulations that get that get picked. That's it. It's it's probably going to be Jano's stipulation, but it's it's definitely got my interest. I'm I'm actually still trying to find out what the hell a Texas strap match really is. To be honest, it's um, oh, it, it's just, just a regular strap match, but the strap just happens to be made in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. It's. It's definitely a match that um, I think will be interesting because, let's face it, Yano is our king of pro wrestling for a reason. He is the, the main man. But we'll move on from that. There's one last match for us to discuss to end things tonight. And where is John Moxley? Yeah, so he is he's back. Uh, I believe the 26th of February will be when uh, the the show, the new beginning in USA uh, show happens the second night of that, where Kenta and John Moxley will face off as part of New Japan Strong. And uh, something quite interesting I've been thinking about, uh, apparently, because uh, he returned to that a couple of weeks ago at the end of a six-man tag that involved ELP, and reports are that that appearance of him, uh, of John Moxley, was filmed before Wrestle Kingdom, because uh, ELP is still in Japan, and obviously that came out after Wrestle Kingdom, so this was probably from before Wrestle Kingdom, and ELP would have to go to Japan to do his quarantine before Wrestle Kingdom. It's just me thinking, was the new beginning part filmed before Wrestle Kingdom as well? You know, I think because if, if so, and Kenta wins, 
that would have mean that when he went to Wrestle Kingdom to fight Kojima, he would have been defending the right to challenge for a belt he technically already won. I know it's that thing you've got to think like how far ago did they record this or I, I think the new beginning match itself may have been recorded after Wrestle Kingdom because Kenta did go back to America because he is known to stay in Florida. And he appeared on AEW, so you would have to be in the US for a while before appearing in, in Jacksonville. And uh, according to Kevin Kelly, they're actually showing that match that Kenta had on Dynamite uh, on New Japan World now. Yeah, it is, it is up. It's been confirmed. It's been shared by New Japan themselves. So, yeah, the Forbidden Door is apparently open now. Where it'll lead from here, I do not know, but I'm. this is definitely a fantastic time for us as fans. Uh, Tony Khan assembling wrestling promotions like Thanos with Infinity Stones. <laughs> uh, what a comparison to make. <laughs> he's got NWA, he's got AEW, he's now got New Japan potentially in the fold, he's working with Impact. Mm-hmm. He's almost got them all. <laughs> You know, he's got you working with they work they have a working relationship with Triple A and Triple A's forming a relationship with MLW because Leo Rush has just done a thing where he had a unification match him be Laredo Kid, you know, the MLW middleweight belt versus the Triple A cruiserweight belt and uh, Leo Rush won both belts, so maybe that's six one, maybe MLW get involved, you know, because six promotions represent the six stones. <laughs> you got buddy buddy Tony Khan walking up to Vince Mangos, I am inevitable. God, that would be. I, I would absolutely love to see that NXT takeovers happening, or what Vince suddenly makes a sudden appearance. It's like, guess what? Vince Tony Khan is here, and he is inevitable. My God, I'm I'm buzzing that we're going to finally get the match though, because um, this it's literally like been like a year almost to the day since that US belt got bloody defended. Yeah, I've seen that almost the uh, the belt at this time last year. Yeah, the match between Suzuki and. Uh, Suzuki and Moxley and yeah, Kenta, hopefully if he wins the belt and goes back over to Japan, we can get, give Zack Sabre Jr. his opportunity at the, uh, the US title that he, he never got to have with Moxley, you know. Kenta v. CSG, I would love to, to see if we got to see that in the G1. So, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that again because as much as I'll enjoy Moxley, his, his commitments right now are with AEW, so I think taking the belt off right now is the wise decision and I think it's a bit expectation. This match has probably got a lot to live up to, given how long we've waited for it. Yeah, it's 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 going to be under a lot of scrutiny, and I'm trying to temper my expectations just so that I don't potentially overhype it for myself, because there is the danger that happening. Because I am incredibly excited for it. It's a match that I want to see happen, but we will see what happens. You know, by the time we come back. Um, we've, we're, we're formulating a plan for how to get our coverage together because Japan is just firing so much stuff at us right now in such a short period and it is immense to keep up with now <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to formulate a plan to get a review of uh, the new beginning in USA mainly the, the Moxley Kenta match because that's what uh, it's all building up to and also the two nights of Castle Attack out and recorded and out before the anniversary show and New Japan got because uh, that's like March 4th and then start the tournament on March 5th so it's kind of easier said than done uh, but you know we are going to do our best if if it's not going to come out before those two shows we'll have to preference it with at time recording so you know if that happens take what we say about certain things like the tournament with a grain of salt 
Yeah, definitely. You know, as we've already had this, ha- this happen to us in the past, we've made um, bold predictions for pandemics to interfere. Hopefully, pandemic's not going to cause it this time. <laughs> no, hopefully not. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, by the end, you'd, you'd think, given that they're so close together, that if we manage to get up before the anniversary show, that on the uh, the Castle Tack review, then we'll be able to talk about, here's the, the full lineup, here's the bracket, and we can make where we're picked. I mean, at the minute, my main pick is Jay White, and uh, I don't see that changing. Yeah, I'm I'm also back in Jay White for the tournament. That is my initial prediction, but we will see what I'm saying in a couple in a couple of weeks time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, this has been a it's been a long episode. It's been stacked. Thank you for bearing with us because you know they have really, really kept us on our toes with the amount of content to keep up with. Um, yeah. Again. <laughs> yeah, because we're gonna have like that episode right after Castle Attack, and then obviously, uh, I think we've got a bit more breathing room once the New Japan Cup ends on the, the 21st of March because Sakura Genesis, where I assume the winner will get his opportunity at the, the heavyweight title, will be on the 4th of April, I believe. So we've got a bit of breathing room between now and then, but I imagine that won't last for very long. Yeah, no doubt something else will pop up because they just seem to be announcing things roughly about a month or so at a time. You know, they're playing it safe, the pandemic is still there, the vaccinations are still rolling out. But, you know... We will we will take it as we as we go. We have we've been able to keep up to date with everything so far. We always find a way. We want to keep everyone in the loop on what's happening in New Japan. Yeah, so it I, seems it seems to be like it, there are times where like there's like no news, nothing that you really talk about, like in terms of like announcements, and then there's this days where like hey, look here's all this stuff that's been announced. Exactly, it's absolutely mad, and I have no doubt got that idea that at some point between now and our next recording, they are going to bombard us. But I would say at this point, you know, catch up with the back catalogue if you've not listened to any of our episodes before on the Suplex Retweet socials, Anchor, Spotify. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Interact with us if you've got ideas, you want to hear more content from us. Let us know, be vocal about it. But I would say at this point, Thank you for listening to us. Thank you, Scott, for being on again. Uh, it's always a good time when we get to talk about New Japan, my friend. I cannot wait for the next episode. You aren't going to have to wait as long for us again. As Kenny Omega used to always say, thank you, everyone. Goodbye and good night. Bang. Thank you. I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Line. You can tune in every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning the current season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on all good podcasting platforms. <laughs>